Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, we're going to be looking at the longest sermon in the book of Acts. And you say, well, boy, does that mean this is going to be the longest sermon at Arise Baptist Church? Probably not this morning, but I hope it'll be an encouragement to you. I have gone round and round on the best way to present this to you this morning and spent time thinking and praying about it. I want to be able to share with you something that I believe is directly from God's Word that will be a help to you as you think about God and His work in our lives. Have you ever read some passages of Scripture and wondered, why did God put that in there? Like, why was that even important in the Bible? Here at the end of Acts chapter 7, I want you to look at one verse with me by way of introduction, and for a moment, try to put out of your mind all the things that maybe you already know about the Bible and the stories of the New Testament. Now, if you're here this morning and this is a very new story to you, you might actually have a bit of an advantage because we tend to kind of jump ahead in our minds if we think we know the end of the story. But I want you to come at this this morning, if you can, as somebody who's reading this account in Acts chapter 7 for the very first time. Because there's going to be a verse we'll read in just a moment. Verse number 58. And this is a verse that, again, if you don't know the rest of the story... This verse doesn't even make sense why God would include it in Scripture for us. Verse 58 says this, And cast him, that's Stephen, out of the city, and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Now again, if you were reading this for the very first time, and maybe you are, and that's probably a good thing for you this morning, but if this was your very first time to read this or to hear this story, why did God think it was important to include the name of the guy who looked after the coats of the people that stoned Stephen? Not to trivialize this, but this is like we are learning some great thing. There's this great message in Acts chapter 7. All this theology, all of this history, this great story of God's work. In fact, here in Acts chapter 7, we have the first person martyr, we know him, Stephen, who died because he was preaching Jesus. And in all of that, God records for us the name of the guy who was in the coat check. I mean, think about it. If you went into a big theater to see a big program and maybe you got a big program and you you read all the names of the performers there, one name that would not be included is the name of the guy who was in coat check. But in this story, that name is very important. We know that merely by the fact that God has not put anything in His Word that's not important. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's 
profitable. So why would the Holy Spirit, in all of His omnipotent, omniscient power, include for us the name of the guy at Coat Check? Well, let's read a little more of the passage. Start and go back to verse 54. And we'll read down through the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 7, verse 54 through 60, it says, When they, this is all the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders there, when they heard these things, what are these things? We'll go back and look at some of these things. This was the sermon that Stephen preached. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. They tried to drown him out. Ah! They stopped up their ears and they ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes, the young man's feet, his name was Saul. And then the story picks right back up. It carries on. Verse 59. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God. Stephen was calling upon God, even as they stoned him, and saying, Lord Jesus Receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The Holy Spirit does not tell us much about the deaths of saints. As you read through the Word of God, there's not... Lots of information about how they all died. In fact, we have to look to history to find out how some of these apostles and disciples of Christ died. He says very little in the scripture about the death of martyrs. He gives us much more about Stephen, the first martyr, than any of the others. In the scripture, there are just a few words that speak about the death of James, the brother of John. And as to the deaths of Peter and Paul, they're just incidentally mentioned along the way. But we have no account of all that took place when they died. Now you say, well, why are you making this big point? Well, because the Holy Spirit didn't put anything in the Scripture that wasn't important. And he didn't keep anything out of the scripture that was important for us to know. In the years to come after the Bible was written, there have been many who have chronicled those who have given their life for the cause of Christ. And we can read about those things in books like the Fox's Book of Martyrs that chronicle those believers who were burned at the stake, those who were whipped and beaten, those who gave their lives for the cause of Christ. Often the details in books like that of the torture cause us to react in great shock, but maybe they don't help us as much spiritually as they should. The Holy Spirit here in Acts 7 tells of the triumph 
of the martyr, with the light that shone upon his face. We looked at it last week. Last week, his face shone like the face of an angel as he beheld this vision of heaven and, and Jesus Christ. But every piece of this story is recorded for our prophet. Every line is important, even the name of the guy who was watching the coats. In this story, we are taught our true source of strength and how to live for God no matter what the outcome is. And Stephen gave his life. The Holy Spirit was careful to direct Luke to write down, when he wrote the book of Acts, to write down the fact that the people laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, it's interesting to note, according to Jewish law, those who were witnesses against somebody else, if that person was condemned to die, those witnesses, and this is Jewish law, were required to be the ones casting the first stone. Kind of makes that story about Jesus with that woman caught in sin much more interesting. And that's why he looked at them and said, whichever of you, you know, is sinless, you cast the first stone. Why? Because the witness basically had to back up his testimony by saying, I'm willing to even throw the first stone. That's how confident I am that they are wrong and I'm right. Saul, as far as we know, did not cast a stone. He just watched the coats. But he probably voted with the rest of the Sanhedrin to stone Stephen. And now he stood by and watched the clothes of the witnesses who cast stones at Stephen to kill him for speaking the truth. So why does the Holy Spirit record all of this for us? We know it was recorded for an important reason. So let's take some time this morning to think about why this was written and learn some important lessons for it that I believe can change our lives. Number one, I want you to see with me the contrast between Stephen and Saul. The contrast between Stephen and Saul. Stephen here, this man who was selected to serve in the church, probably one of the first deacons there serving the church at Jerusalem. We first see, first of all, that Saul was wrapped up in his own self-righteousness. Saul was a man wrapped up in self-righteousness. If you were to interview Saul at this point in his life, he would tell you that he had kept all the commandments of God from his youth up. If you were to talk to him about his lifestyle, he would tell you if you gave him time that by descent he was an Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, he was blameless. And that he belonged to the most strict sect of the religion and he was called a Pharisee. And if you tried to charge Saul with sin, you would see the fire flash in his eyes as he declared that concerning the righteousness which was by the law, he was blameless. He was without fault. Say, so how do you know all this? Because Paul said these things about himself later on. If any man was going to be accepted before God, Saul felt that it was him. And there he sat in all the pride of his self-righteousness, assisting 
at the murder of a truly righteous man. Saul was wrapped up in his own self-righteousness. Stephen, on the other hand, we know was a humble servant. Stephen was a humble servant. All you have to do is go back to Acts chapter 6. Where Stephen was selected out of all the men, those seven men, Stephen was selected first to serve and to wait tables for the widows in the church. Yes, Stephen was a man full of faith. He was full of power. He was full of the Holy Ghost. He was full of the Word of God. But he was a humble servant. Stephen was willing to serve. If you had spoken to Stephen, you would have found a man very different than Saul at this point in time. Stephen's only hope was in the crucified Christ of Calvary. That which made him excited and gladdened his heart was not a sight of himself, but a sight of his exalted Lord. He drew his comfort not from what he had done, but from the finished work of Jesus Christ. And at that moment, as he looked up, as he was being stoned, he saw him there standing at the right hand of the Father. What a difference there was between these two men, Stephen and Saul. Perhaps there could be two people like that even here this morning. One who is self-righteous, would tell you of all their good works and all the good things that they had done. How they were somebody who really made a difference. Jesus saw two men like this, called him the, the publican, remember him, the Pharisee, this man who, or the lawyer, this man who thought of himself quite highly, Lord, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, and yet that publican said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. There's a great contrast here. This morning, if you're self-righteous, if you're self-reliant, if you're depending on your own good works, it's not good enough. I would rather be the one who's looking to Christ. Even if you were to be executed, lose your life tonight, I'd rather be the one who was wrapped in the robes of His righteousness and not mine. Those of you who are wrapped up in the robes of your own self-righteousness. You might be honored and respected by all mankind. But you can't take hope in your own robes of righteousness. You need his robes. Look again at Saul. You'll see a man who followed every ritual. He was a man who cared about the outward show. He knew how to keep the law. He, he probably, if he was a Pharisee, would have strapped on to his head and to his arms little boxes that contained portions of Scripture. These were known as phylacteries. He probably had broad phylacteries, large to make extra room for extra scripture to really show how righteous he was. He was very concerned about the outward show, but Stephen, on the other hand, was a man who had a real relationship with God. As Stephen, in his message, 
We'll look at some of these things in his sermon in Acts chapter 7. He went back and he preached through the history of the nation of Israel and God at work through his people and in his people. Saul knew those stories. Saul knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And yet Stephen was willing to make the application of the sin of the people of Israel, how they had turned away from God, how they had persecuted his prophets. Saul and his cronies didn't want to take any credit for that at all. In fact, they were very, very upset when Stephen looked at them and he said, you are a bunch of stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your hearts. You have it all right on the outside, but on the inside, it's not real. Saul was a man who cared about the outward show. Stephen was a man who had a real relationship with God. And I would say this very simply. Saul opposed the cause of Christ. Stephen stood for the cause of Christ even to the point of losing his own life. Now perhaps you would say this morning, I would never stand against the Lord. I would never cast a stone against another believer. But would you watch the coats for those who would throw the stones? Would you stand by refusing to take a stand for the Lord as others are persecuted for their faith? I think perhaps we may be in a time over the next weeks, months, years, even in our own nation's history where this will become more and more of an opportunity of whether or not we're going to stand for truth and righteousness. So I, I don't want any problems. I just kind of want to float along. I don't want to bother anybody. I don't want to offend anybody. You can speak the truth and you should speak it in love. Your manner should not be offensive. But the truth does offend it offended these people that day. It offended Saul and the rest of the Sanhedrin that day. Say, well, I wouldn't cast a stone. Would you stand by while others persecuted somebody? Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 30, He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. If you're not for Christ, you're against him. At the last great day, the righteous will be on the right hand of God and everybody else will be on His left hand. There will be a clear divide. So why did God include this little phrase? That Saul was standing there and they laid their coats at his feet. Well, I think first of all, it's because we need to see the contrast between Stephen and Saul. But secondly, this morning, I want you to notice the introduction of a person to real Christianity. The introduction of a person to real Christianity. Perhaps you've had some connection with Christians or church of some kind in your life. In fact, every person that's sitting here has had some kind of connection to church and Christianity in some way or another because you're here this morning. Now, you may say, this is my church, or you may not say this is your church, but you've had some connection to a church of some kind. 
You know, when you talk to people who've had connections with churches and Christians, you get all kinds of different stories and experiences. You know what I'm talking about? Some people have had a good experience. Others, not so much. Some have been around Christians who really were hypocrites. They said one thing, but they did another. And they said, I'm just kind of turned off to that whole thing of Christianity because those Christians were very hypocritical. Others have been in churches where they've felt hurt and taken advantage of or where people are gossiping and talking about them behind their back. And they say, I'm just not sure I like Christianity very much or I don't like how churches function. And I I meet people all the time, almost every week when we're out visiting in the neighborhoods around here. People who claim to know the Lord, Christians, but they don't go to any church. So I'm kind of done with the whole church thing. Why? Because their experience has not been good. That wasn't Saul's experience, though. God allowed Saul to be introduced to Christianity, letter A, by the best of Christians. By Stephen. Saul was introduced to Christianity by a wonderful gospel Bible message. Some people get turned off to the things of the Lord because the stuff they've heard done in the name of the Lord isn't really scriptural, isn't biblical. And so over time they go, you know, I don't think I like that. But it's because they've never really heard the true word of God. They've never really heard the gospel. That wasn't the case with Saul. Saul was introduced to Christianity by the best of Christians, by a wonderful gospel message. Saul was introduced to Christianity even by seeing a Christian die a triumphant death for the Lord. But have you ever thought about this? None of those things in that moment seemed to affect Saul. He still stood by, watched the clothing of the people who had to take their coats off so they could throw stones at Stephen. Do you have somebody in your life who you look at them and say, you know what, they are impossible. I've tried to live right before them. I've tried to tell them the truth. I've prayed for them. I've loved them. I've tried to encourage them. I've tried to do everything I can to help them. And nothing seems to change them. They're just beyond hope. They're hopeless. I mean, Saul had the best testimony. He'd heard the best message. He'd seen all the best things, and it didn't seem to affect him one bit. He still stood by and watched the clothing for those who would stone Stephen. So what are we to do? Should we just stop telling people about Jesus? Should we prejudge people and say, well, they're beyond hope? Again, if you were reading this story for the very first time, if you didn't know what was going to happen later on with this guy named Saul, why is he even included here? Why would God record the name of the guy who was coat check at Stephen's murder? When you know the rest of the story, it makes a lot of sense. But when you don't, why would God do that? I'd say this this morning. There are people that you know, and some of you as well, God is still writing their story. God's not done working on them yet. And just because you say, well, I've done the right things. I've tried to share the gospel with them. I've tried to give them the truth. I've tried to help them. But nothing seems to help them. They don't seem to pay attention. They don't even seem to care. 
In fact, they seem to go the other way. I'm thankful that the Lord didn't give up on you and he didn't give up on me. Keep loving them. Keep doing everything you can to share the gospel with them. Keep doing everything you can to point them to the Lord. God wasn't done with Saul. God's not done with them either. Number three, why was this recorded? Why do we need to know the name of the guy who watched the coats at Stephen's murder? Number three, because God's plan was bigger than Stephen. God's plan was bigger than Stephen. The saints in Jerusalem did not know where Stephen's successor was. Imagine this. Stephen is one of the seven selected out to serve in the church. He stands up to boldly proclaim the word of God. And because he does that, he's stoned. He's put to death. You might look at that and say, God, what are you doing? You just took the best. God, how are we going to carry on? What are we going to do without Stephen? Who's going to wait tables? Who's going to preach? Who's going to stand where he stood? Who's going to be the example that he was? God's plan was bigger than Stephen. Stephen's successor was standing there watching the coats of the people who stoned him. No one in the church would have thought that Stephen's successor would have been part of the crowd that was stoning Stephen. And yet that's where he was. I'm so thankful that God can look past all of the outward show, all of the wickedness, all of the sin, all of the selfishness, all of the self-focus, all of the living for my plans and not his. And God can look down and say, there's some potential right there. I can use that person. I have a plan for them. I'm not done with them. I want to work with them. I want to use them. What great love is this? That God demonstrated to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Stephen's successor a greater apostle than Stephen could have ever been. Stephen wasn't an apostle, but even if Stephen was, Paul became a much greater apostle. And he was right there. See, God is not limited by the death of his saints. It's a sad thing when we lose a loved one. And while that may feel like it just life stops and we almost feel like we got punched in the gut and we're not sure where to go. God isn't all of a sudden having to look around, oh no, what am I going to do now? God's not limited by the death of his saints. Letter B, God was already working to bring Saul to Christ. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't that, you know, like if you were running a business and you had employees working for you and somebody quit or Somebody left the job and you say, oh no, what am I going to do? I've got to find somebody to fill that job. God was already at work. He was already busy recruiting. He was already busy at work. He was already busy organizing and putting things together. In fact, God's been doing those things from eternity past to put you right where he wants you 
to prepare you for the moment that he needs you, to be able to use you to accomplish his service for his work in his time and in his way. And just because things don't seem to be working out like you expect them to, as the Christians in the church in Jerusalem might have looked around and said, what are we going to do now? Stephen's gone. God's plan was far bigger than Stephen. And we'll see this in a couple of weeks as, as God took this time and as the persecution against the church got greater and greater and greater, God used this to expand the church and send the Christians all around the world to start churches all over the place. God's plan is bigger than Stephen. God's plan is bigger than you. And it's bigger than me. God was already working to bring Saul to Christ. Let her see God often uses unlikely people from unlikely places. Paul wrote about this to the church at Corinth when he talked about that not many mighty are chosen. God uses the weak things of this world to confound the mighty. He writes and to remind the church when he says, he lists out all these horrible sins. The adulterers, the proud, the liars. And the, oh, by the way, such were some of you, he says. <laughs> Don't forget where you came from. Stop walking around in your self-righteousness. The church lost Stephen, but they gained Saul. And it was a good exchange. Now again, if you're reading this for the very first time, if you didn't know the rest of the story, as they say, you look and say, that was a bad trade. That was a bad deal. God took the best and he left Saul. He left the guy who watches coats for people who stoned his servant Stephen. What is God doing? Does God love his people? Does God care for his people? Yes, he does. What are we going to do without brother so-and-so? What are we going to do without sister? How are we going to carry on? The Lord is never short of people to serve him. Because out of Satan's army... God took the boldest champion of evil. He arrested him by his almighty grace and he laid upon him the charge to become a leader to the hosts of the living God. Never despair, never doubt, never get discouraged or be despondent concerning Christ's cause. Don't ever look around and say, I don't know if this happens. I don't think we're going to be able to carry on. God's plan was bigger than Stephen. And God always wins. He always fulfills what he sets out to do. Dark days may be coming. The world will get worse and worse. But you can fall back upon the almighty, omnipotent arms of the one who is powerful enough to save you and who can keep you from falling. He's the king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord. He's the Lord of lords. Our God will never grow weak. He'll never get tired. He'll never have to sleep. He doesn't slumber. He's always watching. He's always ready. He's always working. He's not just out in front. He's in front. He's behind. He's in the middle. He's all around because He's God. He's Lord. And His plan's bigger than you and it's bigger than me. Take great courage in that, my friend. God is good. We see number four. A gracious memorial of repentant sin. 
Have you ever thought about this? If God chooses not to remember sin anymore, then why did he record Saul's sin of participating in the murder of Stephen in Scripture to be remembered for all eternity? Why every time Rahab was referred to in Scripture, we always had to know that she was a harlot? Does God just enjoy picking on people? I think there's some reasons. Why did God keep a memorial of Saul's sin before his conversion? I would say, first of all, this memorial served to keep Paul, Saul, later Paul, served to keep him humble. Humble. Paul himself, towards the end of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 22, verse 20, said this, And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting unto his death, and kept the raiment of him that slew him. If we were just hearing this story, you think that guy at coat check, he doesn't matter. In fact, he probably went on, lived his life, and totally forgot all about what happened that day. He didn't forget. Paul remembered. He remembered. He remembered where he was. He remembered what he had done. And he never got over that. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 verse 13. He says, talking about himself, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor. An injurious, but I obtained mercy. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget what God saved you from. You don't have to run around trying to forget all your own sins. God can do that on His own. Let your past sin keep you humble. Don't live in your past sin. Live in the grace of God. But don't act like that stuff never happened. Let it be a reminder to you of what God has done for you. Look at the pit where God brought you up out of. He brought you up out of that horrible pit. Out of the miry clay and He set your feet on a rock. And He's established your going. Look at that pit and say, what a miracle of God's grace and mercy. I didn't deserve this forgiveness. I'm so thankful for what He's done for me. We're looking at this this morning. Why would God include this little snippet of the story telling us the name of the guy who's watching the coats for the people who are stoning Stephen? Because God, I believe, wants us to see the contrast between Stephen and Saul, these, these two men juxtaposed right here in Scripture together, very different. But God had a plan for both of them. God was working in both of their lives. God, from our perspective, took the better one home to heaven, and He left the wicked one behind. But you know, that was an act of God's grace and mercy, both to Stephen and to Saul. What if it had been flipped around? 
If Saul had been the one who had died that day, where would he be today? He'd be eternally separated from God in a place called hell. And you and I would not have most of the New Testament. Where would we be today if those two men had switched places? God has such a big plan. And he's got such an important job for you. Don't forget where you came from. God allowed this memorial to keep Paul humble. I would say, secondly, this memorial served to increase Paul's love. To increase Paul's love. Why was Paul so zealous for God? He never got over what God had done for him. He was willing to count all things but loss for the glory of God. He felt himself to be the chief of sinners, less than the least of all saints. God, through his grace, washed away the sin of murder from his guilty soul. If God could forgive him of sin, what great love God had demonstrated to him. I want to do everything for the Lord. That's how Paul lived his life. If you'll remember where God brought you from, it ought to increase your love and devotion to him. Let her see this memorial constantly reminded Paul of God's grace. Paul knew he didn't deserve it. Paul didn't deserve to be saved. He knew that salvation was not of works, lest any man, himself included, should boast. Paul knew he had no natural goodness before God. You know, it's interesting as you go back and you look through, and I would encourage you to take some time and read through the sermon of Stephen this afternoon, this week. The themes that Stephen preached on are the same themes that Paul wrote about for most of the rest of the New Testament. As he wrote about Israel's history and God at work in there, as he wrote about God's plan and salvation in the book of Romans, as he wrote letters to all those different churches and challenged them about being faithful and serving the Lord and standing for God, no matter the cost. Paul himself preached boldly in front of Agrippa and other political and religious leaders of his day. How could he do this? Well, because letter D, perhaps this memorial helped Paul to be hopeful of others. Hopeful of others. You know as well as I do. There's people you've looked at and thought, I know God's powerful in everything. <laughs> but, right? We like to throw that big, like, I really do love God and I think He's awesome. And then, but, I don't know how He could ever change that. It might be your next door neighbor. It might be the person at work. It might be that family member. I don't think there's any hope for them. I think this memorial of Saul's sin being recorded was one thing God used. God kept him. Paul, was he remembered his weakness. He talked about his thorn in the flesh. Romans 7, we looked at that a couple weeks ago, his struggle of the flesh against the spirit. He, he, he knew all these things. I think it gave him great hope and boldness to preach the word of God of people that other people had written off and said there's no hope for them. I don't know who you know like that. Maybe there's a Saul in your life. Some of you 
by your own testimony, might say, I was Saul. I was the one who used to be totally living a different way, and God saved me. Whatever it is, you can take great hope as well through this passage that God loves people, even guys who watch coats for the people who are murdering other people. And you look, you turn on the news, you look at situations that have gone on in our society even this week, and, and I believe Satan is at work trying to do whatever he can to divide God's people and to divide nations and to divide people and pit them against each other by saying, this person's bad, this person's good, if you think this way you're good, this bad. There's none good but God. And all the answers that we need are found in the Word of God. And when we start walking around self-righteously, like we're the good ones and they're the bad ones, and there's no hope for them, they're just, they're, they're terrible people, we've forgotten the grace of God. And we've lost our hope that God gives. How could Paul boldly proclaim the gospel? He knew that if God could save him, he could save anybody. And finally, this morning, you've listened well. Number five, I think we see a beautiful account of God's control over circumstances. God's control over circumstances. Notice with me back in the text that we read to begin. Verse number 60, it says, And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. This is Stephen. He prayed this, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. You know, if Saul had not been there, Stephen would have not prayed for him. If Saul had not been there, Stephen would not have prayed for him. Can you imagine here Stephen is being killed? And he's praying for the people that are in the process of killing him. How could this guy do it? Well, to get the, a little more of a full explanation of that, go back to last week's message. Because he was full of faith. He was full of the Holy Spirit's power. He was full of the Word of God. And he was full of grace. And we see that repeated again here in Acts chapter 7. When it says in verse 55, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, looking up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. If Saul had not been there, Stephen would not have prayed for him. Stephen prayed for his murderers. Letter B, if Saul had not been there, he would not have heard Stephen's message. I already made this point, but Saul... Later, Paul goes on and preaches the same themes that Stephen preached. And you almost wonder what it was like. I mean, these were real people that lived in real time. Saul, later Paul, traveled with Luke. Luke was, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, the author of the book of Acts. Can you imagine maybe Paul traveling around with Luke and he says, Luke, Make sure you include all of Stephen's sermon. Because that's what God began to use to change my life. I don't know if he said that. But I think it's an interesting thought to think about. This was such an impactful event in Saul's life. And later, and we'll get to this in a few weeks, 
These are tough messages to preach because it's like you want to preach the whole book all at once and you just can't do it. I understand. But in a couple weeks, when Saul does get saved, again, we know the rest of the story. When, Paul, or when God comes to him on the road to Damascus, do you remember what God says to him? He says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And that word pricks is like an ox goad or a cattle prod that they would use to push animals along. Today we have it, you know, with a little bit of electricity in it, kind of zaps them. Back then it would just been a sharp stick, right? He says, Paul, you're, it's like you're trying to kick against it, trying to go back against it. I believe one of the pricks, one of the ox goads that God was using to push Paul, push Saul, was the message that Stephen preached, was the testimony of Stephen's life, was the faithfulness and prayers of Stephen, even as he was there being stoned to death. God may use your testimony, your witness, your prayers, your willingness to live faithfully for him, even when you think no one else pay, cares or is paying attention or it doesn't even matter. God can use those things to be pushing other people towards himself. I think this is a great account of God working in all these circumstances. That's another reason that God wanted this little insert there into the text, that it was important that we know the name of the guy who watched the coat for the people who stoned Stephen. Now, as we close this morning, I want you to think a little bit with me about these final events as they led up to Stephen's death. We read this at the beginning. I want you to read, follow along with me again, verse 54. When they'd heard these things, what were these things? What was the message that Stephen preached? It wasn't the history of the nation of Israel that bothered them so much. They knew their own history. In fact, it would have been common practice during this day to rehearse the history of the nation of Israel when you got up to preach to other Jews in the synagogue. That was a very normal practice. What bothered them were statements like back in verse 51 where Stephen said, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Your fathers resisted God. And you do as well. He even continues on. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? See, these, the Sanhedrin love to look back at the Old Testament prophets. Oh, yeah, Jeremiah. Oh, yeah, Isaiah. Oh, yeah. And, and Stephen says, wait a minute. Which of these Old Testament prophets did your fathers not persecute? And if you go back and study the message, you'll see he ties it all back in together. Oh, in the same way you persecuted Jesus and put him to death. He's pointing out, you may, and the Jews love to revel in their history. Love to talk about the crossing of the Red Sea and the Passover and coming out of Egypt. That's something they still repeat to this day. And I think this isn't just a thing that Jewish people do. 
we like to talk about our own stories and our own history and our, our great accomplishments and the things we've done in life. But Stephen looked at him and said, you're a bunch of stick-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You're stubborn, you're proud, you're arrogant. You've got it looking good on the outside, but inside you haven't changed. And because of these things, it says in verse 54 again, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on them with their teeth. These people were upset. They did not want to hear the truth. They didn't want to be told that they were sinners. They didn't want to be told that they had done wrong. They didn't want to be told that all their righteousnesses were as filthy rags. So what did Stephen do? But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven. Talked about last week, being full of faith, being full of the Spirit, being full of the Word, being full of grace. Stephen took all of that filling and he fixed his eyes steadfastly into heaven. The stones were coming. They were beating him from side to side. They'd already thrown him down. They were doing everything they could to kill him. And you may be in life and things just are coming at you from every which way and you don't know where to turn or what to do. Fix your eyes steadfastly upon the Lord and look to Him and trust Him and follow Him. His Word has all the answers that you need. And if you'll live a life filled with the Spirit, filled with the Word, full of faith, Full of grace, you too can stand in the evil day. Look steadfastly into heaven. Notice it says, and he saw the glory of God. God allowed Stephen to see something that most people never get to see. The glory of God. You remember even in the Old Testament when the Lord came up there on Mount Sinai, he passed behind so that they would only see kind of the backside of his glory. He said it would be too bright, it would be overcome. God allowed Stephen to see something that was very special, very unique. And then it says right after that, and he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Now when you read in the Bible, and I would encourage you to study this out. There wasn't time this morning, but there, I could give you a whole list of references for this. Anytime the scriptures reference Jesus in heaven at the right hand of God, it always says he was seated at the right hand of God. I think it's interesting. Again, the Bible doesn't record things just for fun, just because it's for a reason. I think it's very interesting that this is the only occurrence where it says that Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. Why do you think he was standing for Stephen? Maybe because Stephen was willing to stand for him. Last Sunday, several of you, actually a good number of you, I counted, there's 19 people that come up here and said, I need to stand for the Lord. And I know some of you sitting were telling me, I, I need to stand for the Lord too. Stephen stood for the Lord. And Jesus stood up for him. Have you ever asked yourself the question, would Jesus stand up for me? Hmm. Stephen was full of the Holy Ghost. He was focused on heaven. Jesus stood for Stephen. They cast him out. They stoned him. They laid down their clothes at Saul's feet. But it says they stoned Stephen. 
And while they were doing this, he was calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down, cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. He prayed for his murderers. And I want you to notice the very last phrase. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, bear with me just one more moment because if you were being stoned to death, if you were being killed in this violent manner, do you think the people watching and describing those events in your life would say, and then he fell asleep? That sounds like the end of a children's bedtime story about kitty cats and puppies with their mommies and falling asleep. Why did the Lord describe this as falling asleep? I think Stephen was full of faith. He was I look at that and I say, I don't know. That's quite a story. I don't know if I could do that. I doubt Stephen woke up that day and said, no, today I'm going to stand up and preach this message and then I'm going to be stoned to death. No, Stephen didn't know those things either. I believe what made a difference in Stephen's life was because Stephen was a man who walked faithfully. And when the time came and God called upon him and put him in that particular circumstance, God gave him the grace that was sufficient, even in his weakness, to carry him through. Some of you have been through hard things that I don't know how you got through that. And you may look back and say, I don't know how I got through it, but God's grace was sufficient. My friend, can I encourage you this morning as this message time wraps up, that you don't look at the story of Stephen and Saul and say, well, those are just amazing stories, but that was a different time, a different place. I don't think that could ever happen to me. God could take any of us through this circumstance, this situation, and God can give you the grace to carry through. The reason the title of the message this morning is The Martyr on I'm sure he had his struggles. I'm sure he, I know he was a sinner. But we see the example of Stephen as somebody who lived a life faithful to the Lord. Who served others. Who was full of the word of God. He, Stephen clearly had done a lot of reading of God's word. And as best we can tell from Stephen's name itself, his background was Greek. How did he know all this? Because he'd studied to show himself approved unto God. How could he stand when they were throwing stones at him? How could he pray? How could he do these things? Because he was walking with God. And at the end, he fell asleep. Now, if you like me, hear that this morning and say, I don't think I could do that. But boy, I'd sure love to be able to do that. Could I challenge you this morning as this message closes to examine your own life this morning and say, Lord, in what area am I holding back from serving you? God, what have I not committed to you? Romans 12 
1 says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. See, God doesn't call everybody to die for him, but he has called us to live for him. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Would you examine your own heart with me this morning? I can't see your heart. Just you and God can. And ask God to show you, Lord, there's an area I've been holding back, an area I'm not really being faithful in, but I know I need to be. Would you confess that to the Lord this morning and ask him to help you? And then as a church, we want to come around you to help you in that process. Because none of us is perfect. I don't know that I could stand like Stephen did. I hope I could. But I know if I'm not walking with the Lord every day and, and growing in my faith, I really don't think it would even be possible at all. Because without him, we can do nothing. Lord, help us, I pray. Guide and direct our thoughts. I believe your spirit is working in our hearts just like Stephen here was full of the Holy Spirit. He was controlled by that's why he could experience your perfect peace. The peace that passes all understanding. That his death would even be described as just falling asleep. Or there are probably some this morning watching here in the building that if they would look back over their past week, they would say it was anything but peaceful. They may be fighting with somebody else, dis arguing, disagreeing. They may have others who are attacking them. They may be worried and frustrated and fretting over, the, over issues of this life or logistics or finances. They may feel confused or hurt because of what's going on in our society. Lord, I pray that we would come to you this morning, each of us as individuals, but collectively as a body, together to say, Lord, help us, guide us, lead us, use us. Lord, help us not to ever look down on those around us and avoid people because of their problems. Help us to point people to you and let you do the work to change their hearts and lives. Trusting that there is hope that you can change anybody's life. Help us now as we Examine our hearts and commit to obey you. In Jesus' name I pray.